Can an older class of drugs be more effective at treating depression in patients with Parkinson's disease? You are listening to ReachMD on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Tricyclic antidepressants have been used since the 1950s for treatment of depression. In recent years, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors have become the predominant form of therapy. But SSRIs may not be the best option for our patients with Parkinson's. Welcome to a special segment, Focus on Neurology and Psychiatry. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. Our guest is Dr. Matthew Menza, Professor of Psychiatry and Neurology and Acting Chair of the Department of Psychiatry at the Robert Wood Johnson Medical School. Dr. Menza, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Well, I know you did some work in this area comparing the older to the newer. Can you tell me a little bit about the trial you did using nortriptyline and paroxetine? Sure, Larry. This is a study funded by the National Institute of Health that looked at a comparison of nortriptyline, the older antidepressant, a tricyclic, and paroxetine, which is one of the newer SSRIs, as well as placebo in people with major depression and Parkinson's disease. There were a number of findings from this trial, which I can list for you. I think the most important thing off the top is that we found that individuals with depression and Parkinson's disease do respond to antidepressants. That's the message that I want everybody to get off the top. This is something that I think is very important because often depression and Parkinson's disease is under-recognized and under-appreciated. The second result of the study, which I think you're alluding to, is that the study probably gives us some guidance on where to start with antidepressants. As you mentioned, SSRIs are far and away the most commonly used antidepressants in the United States. This trial suggests that that might not be the best approach in people with Parkinson's disease. We found that the older drug, nortriptyline, was about a half of the patients responded, which was a much better rate than either placebo or paroxetine. So nortriptyline outperformed both placebo, which you would expect, but also the SSRI paroxetine. How well did paroxetine do and placebo? Yeah, only about 15% of the people on paroxetine responded, and that was about the same as the number on placebo. Mm -hmm. So paroxetine really didn't look any better than placebo. How many people did you treat and how long was the trial? Yeah, we had in a little over 50 patients in the trial, and it was a, an eight-week trial, which is sort of typical for a depression trial. We saw the, the difference between nortriptyline and paroxetine and placebo early on. By four weeks, it was pretty obvious, and that difference maintained itself throughout the rest of the trial. Historically, the SSRIs were told take six to eight weeks to, to fully kick in. Towards the end of the trial, did you see any upsloping of the people responding to the Paxil, or was it a flat line? Yeah, we did see a little bit more of a, an upswing, but it still didn't get anywhere close to what we were seeing with nortriptyline. So I, I think it's fair to say that at least in this trial, which you know admittedly is not large by clinical trial standards, nortriptyline did legitimately outperform paroxetine. That's actually consistent with some of the literature that there have not, surprisingly, despite the fact that depression is very common in Parkinson's disease and has a lot of affects a lot of outcomes, negatively affects outcomes in Parkinson's disease. We, there has, have not really been many studies in the past, but the few small ones that have been done with SSRIs have suggested that they may not work very well in people with Parkinson's disease. And that was one of the reasons that we decided to compare it with the older tricyclic. How did you pick nortriptyline versus all the others? Which is based on side effect profiles? Yeah, largely, you know, as as most of your listeners probably know, the, the tricyclics are not very easy to use in many cases because they cause a lot of 
constipation, which many people with Parkinson's disease already have. They can cause dry mouth, and many of them can affect cardiac conduction time. So we chose nortriptyline because it's the one that probably has the least of those side effects. It's also reasonably widely used in Parkinson's disease by a lot of neurologists as a sleeping medication because it's got anticholinergic effects. So there was there was a little bit of literature on it, and at least in our hands, it was the one that was best tolerated. That's why we chose it. What kind of doses did you use for the nortriptyline and the uh, paroxetine? We used sort of typical doses that one would use in a somewhat older depressed population. With nortriptyline, we started at 25 milligrams, and that was flexibly dosed up to 75 milligrams. The average dose that people were on at the end of the trial was about 50 milligrams, which is pretty much what you'd see in a, in a similar population of non-Parkinson's patients. With paroxetine, we were using the controlled release form. We started at 12.5 milligrams and flexibly dosed that, and the average dose was somewhere up around 30. You mentioned earlier that depression is under-recognized in Parkinson's patients. Is that because of their masked faces, and so they just have this appearance? Why don't we pick up on it? Yeah, you know, I think there are a number of reasons, and and as you suggest, there have been some studies that have suggested that in typical neurology practice, it is under-recognized. That is, many patients with depressions don't get identified as having depression. There are many reasons for that. For starters, the overlap between the syndrome of depression and Parkinson's disease is pretty great. You know, people with Parkinson's disease who aren't depressed have masked faces, as you mentioned. They have sleep problems. They have psychomotor slowing. So there are a lot of reasons for a neurologist to think, well, this look on this patient's face is not depression. It's Parkinson's disease. We and others have done a number of studies that have suggested that probably and this is no um, will come as no surprise to anyone, but probably the best approach is just to ask people if they feel sad. And if they do, it they are sure to have some of these other symptoms that go with depression, and it's probably worth treating them. So I think that's one reason is that, the, as you mentioned, the syndromes overlap a lot, and it's easy to confuse the two things. I think the other, and this is interesting, is that Parkinson's patients, it's an older group of patients who have by and large, work their whole life. And I I think there's a fairly strong bias in the patients themselves about talking to their doctor about depression. They often will see it as a a, more of a moral failing than anything else. Well, I would think, you know, that it's not necessarily a biological depression, but a an adjustment to their disease and their loss of control and the fact that they're no longer who they were. You know, I think that's a large part of it. Again, people with Parkinson's disease tend to be very hardworking, very detail-oriented, and it's very difficult for them to adjust to an illness that really begins to interfere with their ability to handle all of those details of life. However, having said that, there are numerous studies that have looked at people with Parkinson's disease compared to other impaired groups of patients with spinal cord injuries, with osteoarthritis, things like that. And by and large, those studies have suggested that for a given amount of disability, people with Parkinson's disease are even more depressed. Mm -hmm. And there are also some very good studies to show that the damage in Parkinson's disease is not just to the substantia nigra dopaminergic neurons, but is fairly widespread amongst other cell beds that are clearly involved in mood, serotonergic circuits, norepinephrineergic circuits. So we do believe that there is a a neurochemistry to this that at least makes people with Parkinson's disease more susceptible to 
depression. Having said that, there's no question that this is a huge stress on these people, and one can empathically understand it on that level. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to a special segment focused on neurology and psychiatry on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Larry Kaskill, your host. My guest today is Dr. Matthew Menza, professor of psychiatry and neurology and acting chair of the Department of Psychiatry at the Robert Wood Johnson Medical School. And we're talking about the treatment of depression amongst patients with Parkinson's disease. And I'd like to talk a little bit more about the, the neurotransmitters. And so so let's say that there's dopamine depletion elsewhere besides the substantia nigra, and you would like to upregulate that or increase that. So which of the antidepressants would have the best response in terms of increasing dopamine levels instead of serotonin or norepinephrine levels? Well, it certainly wouldn't be an SSRI because as you increase intersynaptic serotonergic levels with an SSRI, if anything, that's going to dampen dopaminergic tone. The thing that pops in my head is why not use a stimulant or a narcotic or nicotine that would hit dopamine? Those are all really good ideas. I mean, backing up a bit, we speculated in our paper that one of the reasons that nortriptyline may have worked better is that it's one of the antidepressants that blocks the reuptake of both serotonin and norepinephrine. um, These are called dual reuptake inhibitors, whereas an SSRI only blocks reuptake of serotonin. There is actually quite a bit of evidence to suggest that norepinephrine might be involved in the depression in these patients. So it certainly makes sense that using a dual reuptake blocker would cover both serotonin and norepinephrine. And we think that's one of the reasons that nortriptyline probably worked better. If that is true, there are some newer dual reuptake inhibitors like venlafaxin, which is Effexor, and duloxetine, which is Cymbalta, that may very well, we didn't test them, but they may very well be superior to the SSRIs also in these patients. You raise a whole other group of issues which are very good about what about trying to stimulate some of the other systems in the brain, dopaminergic or nicotinic. We really don't have too much data on that, except with dopaminergic treatments, there are some data to indicate that primapexil, the direct dopamine agonist, may actually improve mood in people with Parkinson's disease. So that may be an effective approach. Are there any anecdotes about smokers that have Parkinson's that have perhaps less depression than non-smokers? Yeah, you know, that's an incredibly interesting area. Most of your listeners probably know that people who go on to develop Parkinson's disease have very low lifetime histories of smoking. So the typical patient who develops Parkinson's disease has not been a smoker throughout their life, which is a very interesting thing in and of itself. So perhaps we should be recommending maybe not cigarettes, but a nicotine patch. As far as we know, no one has really looked at nicotine as a treatment for mood in these patients, but there may very well be a connection. I've read that there was a question of whether or not to even treat depression in Parkinson's patients. Why would someone not have wanted to do that? Yeah, I think that actually gets, it's another very good question that gets me back to the point about why this might be undertreated. We know it's under-recognized and under-treated. I think, first of all, a lot of primary care physicians and neurologists aren't aware of the literature on how much of a negative impact depression has on people with Parkinson's disease. There are some very good longitudinal studies now that show that if you have depression and Parkinson's disease, your course in terms of motor function is worse than if you don't have depression. Your cognitive functioning is the decline is much more rapid, so you get to a more impaired 
place earlier if you have depression. Obviously, your quality of life is, is worse if you have depression. And something people really don't think about much is your caretaker, your spouse, has generally got a much worse quality of life if you're depressed. So there are lots of reasons to actually think that this should be worth treating. Now, the question really is, does treating it make any difference in all of those issues? One of the other things that we found in this study was that those people who did well on nortriptyline, their sleep improved, their anxiety improved, their quality of life improved. So we saw improvements in a lot of these negative outcomes that are associated with depression. So I, I think this is probably the first reasonably sized study to show that not only do antidepressants work for depression, but they also improve a lot of these other outcomes. So I, I think that answers the question that it, it really is useful to, to treat these people. Did you have any problems with postural side effects being affected by the nortriptyline? Our patients were relatively early in Parkinson's disease. They, they had an average length of illness of six years. So they were, you know, well into the disease, but not down the road. Their overall, most of your readers may know, there's a, a thing called the Hone-Yar score, which is an overall rating of Parkinson's disease. They were, most of these patients, in the two range, which means they had bilateral problems, but not postural problems mm -hmm. yet. So these were not people who were already falling a lot. Nonetheless, your question is really good because one of the side effects of nortriptyline can be orthostatic hypotension and dizziness when you stand up. We had a few patients in the study who did develop some postural changes, but it was very low. Actually, it was quite surprisingly low. We had very few patients drop out of the study because of any of these side effects. So I think the conclusions we reached is that nortriptyline can be used fairly successfully in these patients. Obviously, it's an individual titration. Some patients may not tolerate it, but by and large, they tolerated it pretty well. The one caveat to that is since nortriptyline is a tricyclic and does have potentially cardiac conduction problems, we strongly recommend that you don't start somebody who already has conduction problems on this drug. So if somebody already has a heart block, this this would not be the drug. So we're really talking about people who are otherwise reasonably healthy. Well, Dr. Menza, it was a pleasure talking with you. It was a pleasure talking to you. My guest was Dr. Matthew Menza, professor of psychiatry and neurology and acting chair of the Department of Psychiatry at the Robert Wood Johnson Medical School, and we were discussing the treatment of depression with patients that have Parkinson's disease. I'm Dr. Larry Kaskill. You've been listening to a special segment focused on neurology and psychiatry on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMD online, on demand, and on air. Please visit us at ReachMD.com, and thanks for listening. <laughs>